Thank you, Monty. Good morning, everyone. Now, earlier this morning, I had somebody say, man, you're looking a little rough. And I, I said, well, thank you so much. I know I'm usually a pretty man, so the contrast of me looking rough is, uh, is certainly noticeable. But I have spent two days in the woods with 35 men from our church at our forge retreat. And men, if you didn't go, you missed out. I'm just telling you the truth. But we're going to give you a chance to go next year. And matter of fact, how many men are here that actually went to the retreat? Look, that's, that's called commitment right there, boys, because they didn't feel like getting up, neither did I, because we sleeping on the ground. So somebody, I told them I was wore down like an old gobbler in the springtime. So anyway, good morning to you. I'm faking it. I'm faking it. Good morning to you. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11 as we get back in the book of Hebrews after taking a two-week break. Uh, we have titled this series, Run for Your Life, and you'll see why. Uh, we are we're jumping back in Hebrews, and we're getting to the application part of the book of Hebrews after spending 10-plus chapters in doctrine about who is Christ. And it's one of the most famous uh, chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, maybe the majority of you have heard it called the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it is an Old Testament biography of those who exemplified biblical faith. The reality is we've spent the first 10 chapters of Hebrews where we were taught the fundamentals of the faith or the fundamentals of faith in Christ. And now the writer wants to show us great examples of men and women in the Old Testament who walked well by faith. Now our text this morning, the first three verses, is going to give us some, if you would, some definition and biblical understanding of what faith actually is, so that when we see it in the bios of the Old Testament saints and in our own lives, we will know what it is. We will recognize it. Now, if there's any subject in our modern world that needs clarity, it is the topic of faith. There's this large movement in Christianity, many of you are familiar with it, it's called the prosperity gospel. And when they talk about faith, they talk about it as if it were a personal power that they possess to create their own future, or to create their own reality, or to manufacture what they want and when they want it. Have you heard of that? You, you've seen it. And we all have to be careful because I think we all got a little prosperity gospel in us. So let's make sure we look inward first. They speak of faith to literally believe things into being, to have faith to change your circumstances from poor to prosperous, from being a nobody to becoming a somebody. Matter of fact, I, I, I want you to read chapter 11 this week, maybe read it once a day, because you will see that the stories of the bios, biographies of these Old Testament saints, literally every one of them, I think, would have a different perspective than the prosperity gospel because their lives were full of suffering and pain. So we know that definition of faith is not true. I think it's also pretty acceptable to talk about faith 
today in some kind of sort of bumper sticker, ambiguous kind of way, stuff that I've seen, like Jesus is my airbag, right? Or honk if you have faith in Jesus, text if you want to see him face to face. Whereas in biblical faith, as we will all see, it is a God-given gift to see a God-given gift to trust him for the future that he has for you. And that future is in the scriptures. Biblical faith has an object, and that object is God and his word, period. Now, here's what I love. We always talk about context. And context for us this morning is amazing. I was like, this is crazy good. It's just awesome. Our author could have easily gone from chapter 10, verse 39, and this is what he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He could have gone from that verse immediately past chapter 11, take chapter 11 out and start right in chapter 12 and say, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He could have gone from 1039 to 12.1, boom, without missing a beat, and we wouldn't even know it. If we got a Bible and chapter 11 was missing, it would make totally, total sense. But man, he knew that his Jewish audience was under intense persecution. They were losing, their money was being taken, their property was being taken, the intensity of the persecution was increases, increasing, and he knew his audience needed to see firsthand how their Old Testament heroes that, that they had read about and heard about all their lives walked faithfully to the end, or as we're saying, ran for their life faithfully to the end. The writer wanted to tangibly show them, the audience, and us what faith looks like biblically. So, in light of that, let me read verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How many of you have heard that verse in some form? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those you know, it is one of the probably top 10 quoted verses in the Bible. What verse 1 does, it gives us a working definition of biblical faith using two parallel statements. But if we know the book of Hebrews, we've been going through, you will remember, it's not the first time that our writer of Hebrews has talked about faith. In chapters 3 and 4, he talked about faith as a negative example or of not having biblical faith. And it was the reason the Israelites were not allowed to go into the promised land because they heard the words of God and they did not connect the words of God with faith. We know also in 10.22, our author says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We know in 1038, he says, my righteous ones shall live by faith. But just because the writer has used this word faith doesn't mean 
his audience or us know what it means. Words have meanings. And so now he takes a minute here to start to unpack what faith actually means. The first parallel statement in verse 1a says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now that sounds simple enough, but if you're like me, you're like, okay, and you just read it, and there's a little bit of, and like, what does it really mean? As I did a, a deep dive on this word assurance, I found out that it's used 20 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, and in that it is given 12 different meanings. Now, I didn't have to tell you that, but I told you because I want to be honest with you. So historically, Many early church fathers, they agonized how to translate this word assurance. And some of them, although they were godly men, they're, in, they're not infallible, like we're not infallible. And they translated in a subjective sense. The problem, though, is this word assurance is not subjective in its origin. It's not something that we feel on the inside. It is something based on facts. So a better translation of the word assurance would be reality or tangible reality. One writer said, faith gives reality to the objects of hope, which by sight seems to be unreal. And we're going to unpack that here in a minute. One commentator put it this way, he said, faith is a guarantee of the heavenly realities for which we hope. Not only does it render them certain for us, but it considers them as rightly belonging to us. It is an objective assurance of our enjoyment of them. Now, this word picture, sometimes word pictures help me remember things. As I dug deep, this objective use of uh, assurance. The word picture was title deed. Make sure you write that down. Crucial here. So faith is the title deed of things hoped for, or put another way, faith as the title deed legally guarantees the future possession that God has promised to his people. Now we're just coming through. We're going to get here. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for, and hoped for is the totality of of all our heavenly blessings, eternity, presence with Christ, certainty of that. Or hope for, you could put another way, is the sum total of all of God's promises in the present and especially the future. Most are in the future for his people, which has been secured for us by the work of Christ. So, all that God has promised to us in this life and the life to come, they're all ours because we have the title deed to them, and by that title deed is called faith. So we obtain all that God has promised by faith and by faith alone. I'll continue to unpack that. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, Paul says that the things hoped for, read that passage this week, are unseen because if we could see them, makes sense, we would not hope for them. So while we live here with the things that we can see, the things that hit our senses, if you would, 
things that can and do reach us personally, struggles, misery, suffering, pain, betrayal, corruption, all the things that we experience in this broken world, we ask this question, how in the world do we endure when surrounded by all this and more? Because that's what the people, the church, the Christians in the Hebrew church were asking. And we are told we are to have this sanctified imagination. Sanctified, not imagination as we're creating things out of thin air, but this sanctified imagination of what that looks like, of biblical hope, where in God's word he tells us clearly that faith is the title deed to the substance of all the spiritual realities that we can't see. And our first point says that faith is the eyes of seeing invisible spiritual realities. The second statement that our writer uses, the second parallel statement, is says the conviction of things not seen. Now, this word conviction in its objective sense is this proof, evidence, or demonstration. So faith is the full proof of evidence. Faith is knowing with certainty, biblically speaking. And I'll do more of that in verse 3. But it is the certainty of how we know what we know because faith is a knowledge that is dependent upon God and His Word. Faith is the certainty of knowing something based upon something higher. And that is based on what God says in His Word. Now, we got to think honest, Okay. Every one of us, every person in the world who knows things. How many of you know things? No doubt. We all know something. I know less. You know less, more, whatever. But we all know something. We have presumptions and assumptions. Everyone does. For us who know God, what could possibly be more certain foundation of knowledge than that of a God who cannot lie, who tells us what truth is? So the conviction of things not seen is the evidence of things not seen, meaning we do not see these things with regular physical perception. They're unseen, but faith in God and his word gives us this certainty that God's future events based on his promises will indeed happen. And in doing so, faith then also propels us, this is key, propels us to act in faith or perform acts of faith based on things not seen. That's what the whole chapter 11 is about. Put another way, faith is a belief in God and his actions, but at the same time, it is the fuel, Monty was talking about that, it is the fuel that causes us to also act even though we cannot see. When you give your money to a mission trip or to the church, that is an act of faith, believing that God is building a real but invisible kingdom of his people and he's going to bring people to himself and grow and equip them in the likeness of Christ. When you pray, you do not see God, but you know his word says he is there. He never sleeps. He never slunders. He never slunders. That's for true. He never slumbers. 
and he is listening, and you have 24 access to him. That is an act of faith. When Monty planted this church, what he did was he took the scriptures, he was trained in the scriptures at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he learned what a church is and what a church does. And he stepped out, him and Kimberly, by faith. They didn't see what this church would be. They didn't know who would come, but it was an act of faith based on God's word. There's another example our writer gives us, and that is in verse 7. And we're going to dive more into that in the weeks to come. The next few weeks are going to be absolutely phenomenal as we unpack the lives of these Old Testament saints. But in verse 7, it says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning an unseen event, which was what? The flood. It's going to rain, boys. It's going to rain a lot. Okay? So you need to build a big old boat. We called it the ark. He did that for years and years while folks were walking by, and this boat was being built in the middle of a desert where it never rained. They said, he's a nut. He is crazy as a cricket in a hubcap. He's a fool to do that. But that's how biblical faith works. It is way more than intellectual consent. Even the demons know that God and his word are true. They give intellectual consent to that. Faith, though, has a future-looking capacity that gives us as believers strength and enablement with courage to walk into an unseen future fully supported by the very words of God himself. Let me illustrate. Imagine if you would, there are two men standing on the deck of a ship, both looking off into the horizon. One man looks out as far as he can see, and he sees nothing. The next man has a telescope, and he looks out as far as he can see, and off in the distance he sees another ship. One man sees with the natural eye. The telescope is like our faith. He sees with spiritual eyes. He sees what a natural man cannot see based on not blind faith, but based on the very reliable words of God himself. Faith enables us to see the unseen world that a natural man cannot see. So faith is the eyes of seeing invisible spiritual realities. Secondly, faith is the means of gaining God's approval. Let me read verse 2. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation or approval or acceptance. Everyone wants approval from God. Everyone wants God to commend them. The author is telling us faith is the way you get it. What the writer of Hebrews does here, he affirms and validates what he says in verse 1 about faith, and then he introduces to us what the entire chapter 11 is about by pointing to the fact that by faith is how Old Testament saints were justified or saved 
or found their approval or found their acceptance before God. Now, the Old Testament saints, they did not see the Messiah like we have. He had been yet to come. But by faith, they trusted in what God's word said would happen in the future about a Messiah coming, although they didn't know all the details. And for the next 36 verses, the rest of chapter 11, the writer will show how this saving faith will live its way out in the life of these Old Testament saints. So the Old Testament saints were approved by faith in God's word, not their righteous deeds. How are you and I approved and accepted by God? By faith, trusting in Christ, trusting in God's word, not by our righteous deeds, because none of us are righteous. No, not one. Put another way, their righteous deeds were the result of their faith in God's word. Paul makes the same argument. Maybe you can put this down to read later. In Romans 3 and in Galatians 3, he makes the same argument that I just made there about faith and works. And here's why. Hebrews 11.6 says something very clear and very profound. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Which means when we walk by faith, we please who? God. When you place your trust in Christ's death on the cross alone for the forgiveness of your sins... The scriptures tell us you are then made righteous instantly. You are then pleasing to God. You are acceptable to God. And from Abel in verse 4 of Hebrews 11 all the way up to this point in 2022, that has not changed one bit. So as Christ follows, we do not walk, think about this, we do not walk in wishful thinking that we are approved by God. We walk with the title deed in our hand and with the knowledge that comes in our minds and hearts from God's word. Here's how Paul puts it in Galatians 2. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we come to Christ by faith, which establishes this pleasing, acceptable, approved, relational connection with the God of the universe. And we not, that, that's, that's not our last uh, bit with faith. And then Paul says in Galatians 2, not only we come to Christ by faith, but we actually live by faith. So by faith is the entire Christian life. I put it another way. The life of faith is a life that is oriented toward the future and lived humbly, courageously, and obediently into an unseen but real future with the knowledge of the promises of God flashing ever before us. If you don't know God's word and you're walking in this world, although you are a believer, you have very little to place your faith in. You have nothing to flash before you. You have, as a believer who knows God's word, we always have God's word flashing like a neon sign. You can trust me. Here's what I say. Here's who I am. You can keep walking. There you go. And that's how we walk. But if you don't know God's word, it's dark out there. And it gets crazy. I've been there. And so have you. Here's another example for us. In our text, a few verses down, Hebrews of this 
truth in Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. We got our man Moses. Again, I'm just skimming the surface. We're going to deep dive on these guys later, or people. Moses refused to call, it says, the son was refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, it says, rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. The text tells us he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, I want you to imagine with me what the Egyptians were saying about old Moses, who used to be one of them, right? He was a high-ranked guy as an Egyptian. He walked away from all these riches and power and wealth to lead a ragtag bunch of ex-slaves into the wilderness. Why did he do that? The text tells us because he was looking to his reward. He believed what God said. Verse 27 says, By faith he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There it is. He knew God. He knew what God said in his word. And although God was invisible, he was visible to Moses. That flashing light was Keep going, Moses. There is a reward at the end. You can endure. So God honoring good works flow from saving faith as their source and give proof of one's genuine faith in Christ. So yes, we gain approval from God on the basis of placing our faith in Christ. Then that faith, here's what happened. As we grow, it becomes a working faith. It becomes a courageous faith. It becomes an obedient faith. And it is this package deal, this faith in Christ and this growing, working, obedient faith, this package deal that is pleasing to God. That's what chapter 11 is about. So we have faith in the eyes of seeing invisible is the is the eyes of seeing invisible spiritual reality. We have faith is the means of gaining God's approval. And then lastly, we have faith is the righteous reflex through God's revelation that he created the universe. Let me read verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is an illustration our writer uses to tell us this. Out of the invisible came the visible. Out of nothing came all that you and I see in creation. And this phrase, by faith we understand, or we could put it this way, the word for understand is no. By faith, we understand or know. When I was reading, I'm like, this is an amazing statement because it is God's revelation is the controlling principle to all knowledge. Now, let me illustrate for you. I can say something crazy like there are little green men on the moon who play ice hockey, right? And y'all would go, how do you know? Because I believe it. Well, how do you know? Well, I just feel like it's true. But believing it doesn't make it true. 
So when we say by faith we know, we are talking about something, and this is what I mentioned earlier, based on a higher authority than us. And here's reality for everyone. Everyone that believes something believes it on the basis of some kind of authority, no matter what the subject is. You with me there? Like, or many times in our world, <laughs> and with us, I'm sure at times, we, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Some kind of authority. Or many times, uh, we believe something based on how we think or how we feel or what our opinion is. And in that case, the foundation or authority is ourselves. You ever believe something? Just, this is how I feel about it. Well, you find out the facts and you go, yikes. So when the Bible tells us that God's word is the basis of why we believe what we believe, we are not appealing to our own private opinion or how we feel, or what our gut tells us. We are appealing to a higher authority, to our ultimate authority, which is God himself and his word. So I've put here, faith is the righteous reflex to God's revelation that he created the entire universe. And this is how it works. We put our faith in Christ for salvation. The spirit of God indwells us. He opens up our minds and our hearts and in some ways gives us a telescope, a spiritual telescope so that we can see and perceive and know that he, yes, is the one who created the universe and that it's real and true. Now, that's not blind faith because the scriptures tell us this. If it tells us anything, it tells us there are two kinds of people. There is the wise person, and there is the fool. And it says that wisdom comes from taking God at his word. And Psalms 14 tells us, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the starting point of knowledge, and we know what we know about creation because God has told us. God's revelation is crystal clear. Genesis 1, 1, the very first verse in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's the deal. The minute any person denies Genesis 1, 1, you know what he's saying? He's saying that all that we see in creation happens by random, chaotic chance which in turn undermines his ability to uphold natural laws, logic, and rationality immediately. When you see a painting on the wall, C.S. Lewis used this often. Have you ever said, man, wonder how that happened? If someone told you this gorgeous painting of creation, all the details, well, you know how it happened? A guy took seven different colors of paint, mixed them together, and threw it against the wall, and that's what came out. Would you believe that? Oh, you, the answer is no, okay? Because it's not rational. It's not logical. It still blows my mind that some would say that we can have random chaos. We can start with random chaos, 
or we can start with nothing as the starting point. And out of this comes order, complexity, and beauty. To believe that is based on is blind faith because there's great evidence for an intelligent designer who created all that we see. It takes more faith or blind faith to believe it all just happened out of nothing. Darwin, in his Origin of Species in 1859, he said he could prove his, his theory, if you would, of natural selection if he could only look inside a cell. He called the cell, the human cell, he didn't know there was DNA in it then, he called the human cell a black box, meaning it's, it's unattainable. You, you, you can't know. But he said, if I could, if I could see a human cell inside of it, I could prove my theory. It would go from theory to fact of natural selection. Well, we now can see inside a cell. We can see the unique DNA. It's so complex. As a PE major, I can't even begin to describe it to you, okay? That's not my job as a pastor. And what that should do, based on what Darwin said, who was a smart man, it should cause every scientist that looks inside a human cell in the DNA to fall down and worship God. And yet, the vast majority of them fail to do that. And here's why. Paul tells us in Romans 1 why. Sinful men suppress the truth about God. Their foolish hearts are darkened, and professing to be wise, they became fools. We can only understand creation by faith. Let me put it another way. There's nobody out there that can know about creation and believe it, whatever they know about it, except by faith. And here's the reason. You weren't there. They weren't there. No one was there. <laughs> no one's no one saw it. But here's what God's word tells us, Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Romans 1 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Yeah, they see it. Because God has shown it to him for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 3 in Hebrews chapter 11, it screams to us, faith is the evidence of things not seen. By faith we know that God put the world in order by his word. Faith sees the acts of God in creation. John Piper summarizes it like this. Faith is the spiritual seeing of the fingerprints of God on the things he has made. The order, the beauty, the greatness, the complexity are, are the evidence that God made the world. Out of nothing, God created something. And that creation was the world. And here's why our writer is putting it here before he goes into the bios 
of the Old Testament saints. He wants to tell us if God created the world, and he did, then everything else that he promises you concerning your life here and in the life to come is as secure as creation itself. It's a powerful, powerful illustration and statement by our God. So what is our so what this morning? We know that the writer of Hebrews does not want us to shrink back. He wants us to have faith that endures. He wants us to, to know, go on with this life-transforming and very practical journey of how to trust him day by day more and more. My implication for you this morning is this. We've been saying it for over a year. Draw near to him and know what he says in his word about himself, about you, and about others. And as you do, when you're sane, when you're in the light, when you're thinking clearly, when the darkness comes, you will not forget what you have seen in the light. So take a minute this morning and really think about, am I, do I know what God says in his word? Because without that, you cannot walk by faith. Take a minute to ask that question. Jesus, we're so grateful that we have your word and that it does speak to us about what is real, what really whether we believe it or not. Lord, would you cause us to align all that we do believe with what you say is true? And Lord, in those places where it's unseen, uh, help us to trust you. And uh, help us to endure. Uh, we're grateful. You're a good father. You have been so kind to us. Thank you for speaking to us, guiding us into all truth. Lord, help us to walk in light of that this day and every day after, until you return. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.